This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. I think we got to keep our habits good and kind of keep building our game a little bit. Yeah, we're in, but at the same time, we want to get better. We need to still improve, and uh, we take these five games as kind of, yeah, we're going to try and win them, but at the same time, just make sure our habits are good and um, improve our game and um, feel feel really good going into the Toronto series. Just because we've punched our ticket, you know, we can't take our foot off the gas. What I mean by that is it's all our habits we're starting to build in, you know, that's pushing us to where we are and where we want to be. And uh, so we just got to keep our habit building and just not let the fact that we're in kind of like take our foot off the gas right here. So we just don't want to see that. Can't do it, Coop. Can't do it. <laughs> Brandon Hagel also there. That was Brandon Hagel, right? Hey, yeah. Pretty distinct. Pretty distinct voice at this point now. We have a pretty good idea. If you hear the pucks going on in the background, that's because there was some practice going on. Mish is there in New York. We'll get an update on the latest. Steve Ersink's our producer. I'm Greg Linelli with you. We've got a game tonight, 7.30, a little bit after 7.30. You know how these things go. And uh, it's two teams who know they're going to be in the playoffs. And it's just a matter of uh, where things are going to fall. Rangers considered one of the better teams in the league, made some moves at the deadline, certainly trying to go for it now. Lightning, of course, have been in this position the last four or five years where the expectations are get to the Stanley Cup and win it if you can. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. We have some questions trickling in that we will get to. Partner, it's great to be with you. There's always a little bit of a, a buzz, I think, in the air anytime you're taking on a team from New York. And the fact that the Lightning have back-to-back games against two really good teams, we were talking about it the other day, what type of hockey would we see? But uh, it does look like John Cooper cleared up a little bit, maybe a lot, in terms of how the goaltender rotation would look like for the remaining games. And what we do know is that Vassy's going to play tonight and Brian Elliott most likely tomorrow against the Islanders. Yeah, so it's an optional skate, Greg, but most players actually took the option to go on the ice, which is interesting because they did have a full practice yesterday. So that tells you they've kind of come out of this 19-game in 33-day stretch because during that stretch, when it was an optional, very few players went on the ice the day after a full skate. Today, it was probably about 70% of the players were out there, and most of them have left the ice now with the exception of Three guys at one end who are going to be in the lineup. And then Brian Elliott and the three scratches at the other end. So the lineup is going to stay the same as the one that we've seen these last four games. Three lightning wins. They've played very well at all four. So AC Mon is the extra forward. Bogosian and Hayden Fleury are the extra D. And Brian Elliott is going to back up Vasilevsky tonight. And what John Cooper, so because it was an optional, Cooper did his media right at 1130. So normally he's doing it kind of while we're on the air, but I had a chance to hear what he had to say. And he was asked about the goalie rotation relating to Vasilevsky. How much would they play Vasilevsky down the stretch, particularly now that a playoff berth has been secured and and in all likelihood the Lightning are going to be in third place. I mean, they're going to need to to have a lot of things happen for them positively and negatively for Toronto for them to catch the Leafs and get into second. So with all that being understood, and Encina actually asked the question, you know, how busy is Vasilevsky going to be down the stretch in the regular season? And Coop's response was, well, what day is today? It's April 5th. When do the playoffs begin? April 17th or 18th. That's about two weeks away. Yeah. He's like, that's, that's a fair amount of time. And he said, after tomorrow, we only have three games left. 
So he said Vassy is going to keep his routine. So what, what I took from that, a couple of things. First of all, it means that Elliott is probably going to start tomorrow because he said after tomorrow, how many games do we have left? Three. But the fact that the Lightning only have three games from Friday, April 7th, until game one of the playoffs, whatever day that's going to be, April 17th, April 18th, means that Vassy may get the last three. I think we were under the assumption that he was going to play the final game because the Lightning wanted to avoid him having a long layoff from game 81 until game one of the playoffs because it's going to be about a week. But maybe he's going to get all three. We'll have to see how it unfolds. But I think you're right. I think Elliott's going to get the game tomorrow against the Islanders. Vasilevsky is going to get the game tonight. And the Lightning are going to use the same lineup that they have used over this past week, week plus, games in which they played very well, particularly defensively. And, you know, there was some debate, and we had that debate, partner, about what would the, the goaltender rotation look like moving forward. And I think if you were in the camp where you were like, all right, you know what, you want to kind of rest Vassy to some extent, I think that would be something to point out. It's fair to go down that route. Again, if you are under the belief that you have somebody capable who could pick up the slack, and also if you also felt like, look, played a lot of hockey over the years, you want to give guys breaks when you can, and certainly this would be one of those situations. But I'm wondering, partner, if you feel like, based off of your experience watching the games and calling the games, if the goaltender position is a little different. In other words, if you sit out three, four, five games, is there an effect on that position that has a bigger impact on how they play or perform than, let's say, a forward and a defenseman. We know there's exceptions to every rule. Everybody's different. But in general, the goaltender position, and I haven't, I don't know if there's any studies out there that would back it up or that are out there that, you know, a goaltender that's coming off four or five days rest, that next game, what does it typically look like for them? So I think the question is, because this is really the, the heart of the matter when we think about this question, what is the best route for Vasilevsky so that he is ready to go for game one of the playoffs? Is it to give him as much rest as possible because he's played a lot of hockey? Or is it to have him maintain his routine? And I think we got the answer from John Cooper, and John Cooper and Fran John, the goalie coach, know Vasilevsky better than we do, and Vassy knows what is best for him. So I think that answers the question as it relates to Vasilevsky. Other goalies may feel differently who are, you know, kind of in line to play the, the majority of the games for their team in the playoffs, getting ready for the start of the playoffs. I do remember in the 56-game season, we've referenced this, Greg, the Lightning had a two-game set in Detroit because you played – Usually you were playing the opponent two in a row in the same city, whether it was at home or on the road. Lightning went to Detroit for a pair of games. Vasilevsky didn't even make the trip. But that was not right at the end of the year because the Lightning finished with a couple of games in Florida, if you recall, that year. So in the regular season I'm talking about. So Vasi got a break. That involved, you know, travel, and they just said stay home. But he did play leading into the playoffs after that. 
you get into a game, is it more taxing to play or is it more taxing to practice? <laughs> you know, like Elliot is still out here, right? Although he's standing at the bench right now observing, like he's getting a lot of work as the backup, which is typical. In a game, you may see fewer pucks, but Chief has talked about this. The mental strain of playing in a game is is much more taxing than having to practice, and you could be under a physical you could be under physical duress, depending on the game. Like if you have a game where you're facing 50 shots, right? Physically, you're doing a lot within that game. So look, Vasilevsky's not been taxed particularly strenuously these last few games. The Lightning have allowed one goal in the last three. They've allowed three goals in the last four. They've kept the scoring chance number down. They'd like to, to see that continue, but you know, if Vasilevsky plays tonight, Elliott plays tomorrow, let's say Vasi has the game in Ottawa on Saturday where he is just under siege. Maybe they decide to give him the next game off. But I don't think that they're planning on that right. <clears throat> based on what we heard from Coop. And, and that is in consultation with Vasilevsky himself. Right. What do you need, Vasi, to make sure that you are ready to go for game one of the playoffs? And he probably said, you know, I don't want to play once in a week and a half. I want the games. Yeah. Got to respect the, the wishes of the player, you do. don't you? You do. You do. But you know what, though? I, to that, and I, I agree with you, but to that, that's where the head coach ultimately is going to say, okay, I, I get it, but every player is going to want to play. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's true. the other thing. I mean, if, if Vassie was like, no, nah, I think I want to take a few days off, you'd probably be like, all right, really? Yeah. Um, you like It's like that in work. Somebody, somebody gives you maybe more responsibilities than you know you probably can handle at that time, you know, depending on where you are in your career, you might take everything you get mm -hmm. and you may be relying on your boss or somebody ahead of you to sit there and say, look, we're giving them a little bit too much to work with here. Why don't we, why don't we scale back the, the employee in most cases probably isn't going to decline tasks that are given to them. In this case, we're talking about professional athletes who their goal is to play we always hear about Vassy. One of the things, Dave, he's had to learn over the last couple of years was to, you know, not go as hard at practice or not even practice. Yeah, like today. Off. Right. <laughs> he was one of the whatever yes. it was, 30% that did not go on the ice. Yeah. So that's, that's something that I think John Cooper would step in and say, okay, th this is kind of how we, we go. Because if you're coming at me and you're saying, you know, look – uh, you got to listen to the, the player. He wants to play. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. No doubt about that. He is, he's going to want to play. It's just John Cooper, probably Dave, I think his greatest strength as a coach, he has many of them. I think it's just a pretty good pulse of his team. Don't you think Vassy has earned, I don't want to say earned the right, but it's not like this is his first kick at the can in the playoffs. Like, there's an established trust. That's the word I'm looking for. That's, There's trust between the player and the coaching staff that, you know, if Vassy felt that, you know what, playing these last, let's say the last three games, after tomorrow, who's going to play the last three games? How many games will go to Vasilevsky? And maybe we should expect that all three are going to go to Vasilevsky. Well, if they had a conversation about it, I think there's enough trust there between the coaching staff and the player all the winning they've done together <laughs> that if Vassy was like, you know what, maybe, maybe give me this one game off and I could use that. 
I think Good the point. conversation went differently, where he's yeah. like, based on my routine, I want those games. Yeah. I, I, that That is what I need to get ready for game one of the playoffs. I like it. And he's earned that. I don't know that. I mean, yeah. I wasn't I mean, in the room the when these yeah. conversations took place, but yeah. based on what we heard from Coop, that, that's kind of that's kind of how I, I read the situation. And it's probably accurate yeah. in many ways. At Bolts Radio, hit us up on Twitter. If you want to get involved in that conversation, you can. And regardless of the net situation, let's maybe take a, a look at this game tonight, Dave, and maybe what the, the expectations are for both teams. Clearly, you want to come away with two points. The Lightning want to continue playing some good hockey, and they'll be tested tonight defensively. I mean, regardless of who the Rangers have out there, who's in, who's out, that's a talented lineup. They clearly have stockpiled and are, you know, quote-unquote going for it this year. But this is a game where the Lightning, not only Dave, have to be disciplined, getting the puck out quickly if they can, and force the, the Rangers to uh, play in their own zone. This is also a game where you want to stay out of the penalty box. Yes. Because this Rangers power play, like it is given the Lightning problems, not the game in late December in that, first of all, there weren't a lot of power plays. I think the Rangers, they had three in that game. Lightning went three for three in the penalty kill. That was the game that you have referenced, Greg. You felt that was one of the best performances of the year for the Lightning. They wanted a shootout two to one, that game at Amelie Arena right after Christmas. But if you look at when the Rangers have had success against the Lightning, either in the regular season or in the playoffs last year, whether they won the games or not, they did a lot of their damage on the power play. Even games three through six in the series last year, the Lightning won all four games. The Rangers, when they scored, it was usually on the power play during those last four games. I think they only scored... I'm going off the top of my head here, but I think they only scored one goal in those last four games that was not a power play goal. Every other goal they scored was on the power play, and Zimbanejad specifically gives the Lightning problems from his spot at the left face-off circle against Vasilevsky. He picks that top corner on the short side above Vasilevsky's stick when they have him moving from side to side, and he finds that spot. He's having a great year. Zibanejad, I was a little surprised to see this, has a career high in points with 83. And I'm surprised because he's been so productive during his time with the Rangers. But he has 20 power play goals this year, 2-0. So he's scoring on the power play not just against the Lightning. He has three goals against the Lightning. Rangers have scored four goals in the two games against the Lightning. Zibanejad has three of them. He had two in opening night, and he scored the one goal that the Rangers got in that game in, in late December at Amelie Arena. So you are absolutely right. Staying out of the box is going to be a big key for the Lightning. But it is interesting. Like, Coop, the other thing he mentioned, one of the other things he mentioned when he met with the media at 1130 was the vibe tonight is way different than the vibe the last time the Lightning were here, which was opening night. It was the opening game in the season in the NHL. And they had the two Eastern Conference final teams meeting again there was a lot of buzz and this is just much much different right it's a late regular season game in which both teams have already clinched a playoff spot and are likely going to finish in third place in their division it's going to be difficult for either one of these teams to move up to second but they're not going to fall out of third either right so 
there are some individual goals, I think. You know, Braden Point, I think, would like to get to 50, or at least his teammates would like to get him to 50. On the Rangers side, you know, you have some guys that maybe are looking to elevate their game and, and get acclimated even more, specifically Tarasenko and Kane. Who knows? But this could have the feel of a less intense game than maybe what we saw in opening night when the Rangers were really amped up. They played very well in that game, and it will certainly have a different feel. I feel confident saying this, Greg. At least from the opposition, it'll have a different feel than tomorrow's game. I mean, the Islanders caught a little bit of a break that Pittsburgh lost to the the Devils last night. Otherwise, they would be in ninth. As it is, they're in eighth in the second wild card and in jeopardy falling out of the playoffs. So that is going to be a critical game for the Islanders. The game tonight, just there's less at stake for both these teams. So I think both teams just want to play well, and we'll see what we we end up with. (laughs) I mean, that game in late December, there might have been a little bit more at stake because both teams were not exactly secure in terms of, like, they were in good position, but they hadn't clinched a playoff spot, unlike now. But that was a really entertaining game. You're right. Yeah. You know, when you have all that talent, sometimes – you tend to wonder what is a team going to look like, Dave, when the playoffs start. And some teams who are doing that type of overhaul, and when I say overhaul, I mean when you get guys like Tarasenko and Kane specifically, those are guys, mm-hmm. Dave, who aren't going to be in the bottom six. They're going to be in the top six, you would think. Yeah. And because of that, you're going to be dropping guys who are in the top six probably in the bottom six. And sometimes that can cause a little uncomfortable moments when it comes to your lineup. Some teams will choose to make those trades before the trade deadline to get those guys settled in a little bit more. But to me, that is the great equalizer. There's no question there is a lot of talent on the Rangers team. Uh, The question becomes, is it the right talent to win a Stanley Cup? Well, the two guys that you mentioned that arrived certainly were Kane and Tarasenko and they're in the top six. So which two guys are no longer in the top six? And it's been a rotation to some extent, but Barkley Goodrow, the last time the teams met, I believe he was in the top six. So I think that the Rangers want him slotted in another spot. And he's right now centering their fourth line with Jimmy Vesey and Tyler Mott, who they acquired from Ottawa at the deadline as well. He was the guy that was with them last year and they really liked him in terms of how he helped them in the playoffs. They acquired him from Winnipeg at the deadline last year. He was a, a significant part of their their playoff team. The other guy that moved out of the top six was Kapokako, who was playing on a line with Kreider and Zibanejad. Patrick Kane took his place. So they reunited that kid line from last year. And I don't know how far back it goes, but I think it does go back at least to when Kane arrived. So you have Kako, Lafreniere, and Philip Heedle. And they're going to look to recreate some of the magic that they had in the playoffs last year when that line was really effective. So, look, if you're the Rangers, yes, the question is, how are Tarasenko and Kane going to slot in? Neither one has exactly, like, lit up the score sheet they've done well but they're not at a point per game neither one of them Tarasenko's played 26 games since the trade Kane has played 16 but what it has done is slot other guys maybe into positions where the Rangers wanted them anyway right the one guy that is missing from the Rangers and I'm curious to see how 
impactful this is if he is unable to start the playoffs is Ryan Lindgren, who is maybe one of the most underrated defensemen in the NHL. He plays with Adam Fox when he's healthy. They are a, to use a Batman term, they are a dynamic duo. Like, they are outstanding. Lindgren is the perfect foil for Fox, who has a lot of offense to his game. But even with Lindgren having missed most of the last, let's say, month, going back before the trade deadline, a little bit more than a month, they are both plus 28. They own the best plus minus on the Rangers. They're tied, which is not surprising because they usually play together. Now, Fox has had a month without Lindgren. So Lindgren got hurt in a game against Washington. He was checked into the boards by T.J. Oshie, and it looked bad. He missed some time. It was not as bad as they feared. He came back. He's played one game, and then he, he's been on the injured list ever since. So I confess, I'm not up to date on, like, when is he going to return. They did acquire in that Tarasenko deal – Nico Mikola, who played a couple of games against the Lightning this year while with the Blues and was the guy to injure Rudy Balsers, if you remember. He was, Mikola was the guy that checked Balsers into the boards and Balsers got injured when he was up with the Lightning. Mikola is now Fox's partner. Mikola is a good player, and he has playoff experience with the Blues. He was the guy, maybe the other guy, <laughs> that came over in that Tarasenko deal but all things being equal, the Rangers want Lindgren. And he is a huge, huge part of what they want to do as a team. So that is probably, from the Rangers' standpoint, the one big question mark heading into the playoffs. And when I see the Rangers people tonight, I'll, I'll have a better idea, like, what's Lindgren's status? Because I'm not entirely certain. And they do have a couple of weeks, like Coop was talking about with Vasilevsky. Like, we have a couple of weeks before the playoffs begin. Yeah, that's fair. Of course, you have the head-on-a-swivel Jacob Truba to deal with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what's funny is he's turned himself into... Dave, I will I will defend and argue this point a lot to the point that it makes sense. I mean, sometimes when you engage in conversations and debates, it just gets to the point where it's like, all right, you're not going to change your mind. I'm not going to change my mind. Let's move on from the topic. I can't remember when Jacob Truba was in Winnipeg, understanding we didn't see him a ton, that he had the reputation that he has now. Is that fair to say? Big hitter. Yeah. Intimidating force in many respects. Dave, I don't remember that in Winnipeg. I actually remember a guy who had a big shot. Yeah. You know, and... We didn't see Winnipeg a lot. We didn't. And, we and didn't. frankly... You know, Winnipeg wasn't in the playoffs all the time. Now, toward the end of his time there, they they did get in. I remember more. When you talk about Jacob Truba, I remember the talk basically of why he wanted out of Winnipeg. It was to go to the States because wasn't his fiance at the time, and now I don't know if it's his wife, wasn't she going to, like, med school? Or it was something to practice medicine, and it was better in the States than it was right. where they were in Canada. But I don't remember him being that guy who was a notorious big hitter, borderline dirty. And I feel like since he got to and arrived in New York, boy, Dave, I mean, you watch some of those games. It feels like every every so often you'll get a, a text or you'll see on Twitter a Jacob Truba hit. 
Yeah. An open he ice He had hit. a big one this year. I saw it, and look, I'm not in the weeds on the Rangers, so I don't know how accurate this is. This might be hyperbolic, to use your I word. I love that word, by the way. Go yeah, ahead. I know you do. I know. The Rangers had some, some scuffling moments early in the year, and by early, I'm talking about they finished November – 500. In other words, they weren't 500 through the end of November, but in the month of November, they were a 500 hockey team and things weren't quite rolling as well as I think a lot of people would have expected based on how good they were last year and how how deep they went in the playoffs last year. And they had a home game against Detroit and Athanasiu, I'm sorry, Chicago. I'm thinking when Athanasiu was still in Detroit. Athanasiu is now in Chicago. And Athanasio with the Hawks got blown up by Trouba in the neutral zone. And I, I saw the hit. It was a clean hit. And, of course, there were other Chicago players that, that came at Trouba after the hit, as we often talk about. And the commentary was, this hit turned around the Rangers' season. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. I would have to go back and see when that game was played and what their record has been like since. But the fact that that is being mentioned tells you the impact that Truba has in terms of lifting up his team. And that's what a big hit can do for you. Now, I am on board with you. We have been in lockstep on this. I thought the hit on Crosby was a dirty hit last year that should have warranted a suspension. And Crosby, with the Penguins up three games to one and it leading game five. the complexion of that whole series. Yeah, he, he had to miss, what, the next two games. He came back yes. for game seven. Yeah, right. So that was a dirty hit that knocked the best player on the other team out of the game and out of the next game. So your team was able to rally in game five and rally in the series and get the series tied. Now, had it been a completely clean hit, and Crosby would have happened to have gotten injured on that hit, I wouldn't have felt as strongly about it. But that was that was a hit to the head. And I know that there have been people who said it wasn't a hit to that. Like, to me, that was textbook for what the league is trying to get out of the game, and Truba delivered that hit. Now, we had another big hit later in the playoffs on Jarvis that was a huge hit in Game 7 of the Carolina series, and that one I didn't have a problem with. Yeah. And that was it had the same effect. Like it completely sucked the life out of Carolina. And it was one nothing Rangers at that time. And the Hurricanes retaliated on Truba and ended up giving up a goal. Because they, they retaliated on Truba and, and got called for a penalty, if I'm remembering that right. So it are. was an enormously impactful hit on Jarvis, as was his hit on Crosby. Just when you're going for those big open ice hits, sometimes you can get the guy in the head. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to deliver. I don't think Truba went in with an intent to injure, but he did injure, and it was a hit to the head, the one on Crosby. The one I saw on Athanasiu was clean. <laughs> right, right. You know, but that's what this guy can do. You have to be aware when you are skating in the middle of the ice, not along the boards, and Jacob Truba is out there, that he will look to deliver one of those checks. Yes, you have got to put, you have got to understand your surroundings when you're on the ice with that guy. It's just how it is right now. Yeah. It's just how it is. And uh, we can debate it all we want, left and right. Bottom line is Truba got away with it. 
And in the Pittsburgh series. In the Pittsburgh game. And, yeah. and if you can get away with it, more power to you. More power to you. But what I'm saying is for the Lightning players tonight, just be aware of where a guy like that is on the ice. You have yeah, to. you definitely you definitely don't want to put yourself in a position where you can absorb a hit like that and potentially get hurt. Now, with Tennessee, he was not hurt after that hit. I mean, it seemed like he was fine, and, and he's – He's been in the Chicago lineup all year. But, you know, that's one thing as we hit the last five regular season games, the Lightning desperately want to avoid is an injury. And if you remember, because Coop was also asked about Dan Rosen was was downstairs, who is based in New York, but he writes for NHL.com. So he is sometimes more of a national league-wide perspective. And he was asking about the Bruins yeah. And and relating that to what the Lightning went through in 2019. And Coop said, you know, we snatched victory from the jaws of defeat like 15 times that year. So everything went right. And then, you know, the tide turned in the playoffs. And Coop said, but after that, we won 11 playoff series in a row over the yep. next three years. So that was kind of how Coop answered the question. But the one that he didn't mention, which I'm going to mention, is it was late that regular season when Victor Hedman got injured in a game against the Islanders. And right. he was not able to play the full four games. And nobody's ever asked him about it, but, I mean, it seemed clear that uh, – I don't know if it was related to that Islander injury where he took a hit up high. But he was able to play the first two games against Columbus and Tampa and then did not play games three and four. So the Lightning, every team right now in yeah. this home stretch, particularly if you've locked up a playoff berth, what's the most important thing to avoid? Injuries. And to that end, it looks like Sergeyev, who skated yesterday, is going to be okay. In fact, he was out for the optional That's great skate. news. Yeah. That is great news because how many people, and, and I know it's instant reaction, and it's, it's hard not to go down that, that hole, but how many people are like, that did not look good. That did not look good. Yeah, and it, it did, didn't it look did. good. And it didn't. It didn't. But you know what, though? The Lightning have kind of dodged a couple of bullets here, partner, with potentially here Sergachev playing tonight or whenever in the Stamkos member scare we saw. I mean, how many? Was that a week ago, two weeks ago? Remember, we got up, just kind of an yep. innocent-looking play and looked like the leg just kind of jammed a little bit on him. And I think anytime that happens, you're just like, oh, geez. Well, that that's why I go back to, and if people want to react, they can. We'll get some tweets at Bolts Radio. You know, how can you avoid injuries? You, you could sit there and say, well, look, when you're playing, you, you can't. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. stuff's going to happen. But you can avoid them if you sit players. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can have this conversation again. You can't. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, you, we're not going to go the down. Same, we're not, the same yeah, three I, players are sitting sure. tonight that have been no sitting. Doubt. And the same backup goalie is going to be the backup goalie tonight. And that makes sense. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You get to that last game of the year, maybe you're like, all right, you know, hey, hey, Sima, you're going to be in for Stammer. You're going to be in for Cooch. You know, let's let's go down that hole. But that's that's for another topic. We'll actually see if that gets um, once it gets a little closer, if this is what happens uh, with the lighting. You want to get to a couple of questions? Yes, potentially let's here, do it. And let's kind of break it all down. I also want to um, let me get to it here before we get to our Yes, our you have an important announcement, right? Be the first to score tickets partner for the Stanley Cup playoffs this year by becoming a Lightning Insider. How about that? Visit TampaBayLightning.com slash insider to subscribe 
and receive exclusive pre-sale access to playoff tickets starting tomorrow. Single-game tickets go on sale to the general public on Friday at 10 a.m. at tampabaylightning.com slash tickets. How about that? Exciting. It is all you know. It, it is always exciting when you get those emails about the playoffs. Yeah, because it's it's like all right, here we go. We've got about a week or two left, and now the games begin for real. For real, as my daughter would say, for real life. <laughs> yeah. For real life, Dad. Yeah, for real life, no doubt. All right, Basil says, please assess the Huberto Kachuk trade at this juncture. Both teams won their division last year, and both are struggling for a wild-card spot this year. What compelled Panthers to trade? Bolt sweep? Huberto personality? Neither team improved. And I think it's a fair question. It's one where I don't know if we have a strong answer. Why did they make the move, Basil? We've discussed that before on the show. We've often said that anytime you have a team who had those lofty expectations that come up very short in the playoffs, changes are going to be made. And what we don't know and what goes on behind the scenes is, you know, how big of a change do you want it to be? Well, the Panthers decided we needed to go big because not only was it Huberto, it was Uyghur. I mean, it was a couple of guys who were cornerstones of that team for the last few years. Huberto, you know, arguably, you could sit at a table, and when you started talking about maybe the 10 best forwards or maybe even the 15 best forwards in the game, I don't know if Huberto would crack it, but if you made the argument, I don't know if many people would disagree with you based off of the numbers and the point productions he's put up over the years. I like the move from Florida's perspective. Because I think when you look at what Kachuk can do, he's everything the Panthers wanted to address. And that is grit, physicality, snarl, giving you different adjectives here, but you understand the point, Basil, and skill. And there's leadership qualities there as well. I didn't mind the trade. I think a lot of people were up in arms over it. I, I said, yeah, I actually like that move for the Panthers. And let's be pretty clear. Sometimes teams, when you underachieve like the Panthers did that year, you, you feel like a shakeup is a big deal, that it needs to happen. So as it worked out for both teams in terms of the standings, to your point, probably not the way they wanted. I will say this. I think the Panthers are going to make the playoffs. And I've been I've been pretty bullish on them all year. You and Phil Esposito both. <laughs> Just because I think there's too much talent there for them mm-hmm. not, to, not to get in. I think they're playing well at the right time. I don't know if Pittsburgh is a team that you can bank on making the playoffs they got whooped pretty good by the devils last night I believe they have minnesota tonight and then they have games against three non-playoff teams before does leapfrog them and everybody has the same amount of games when it's uh, fighting for that last wild card spot in the east but you know calgary is two points behind winnipeg right now 
for that last wild card, and uh, Winnipeg has played mm-hmm. one less game. Well, let's not forget, and, too, though. Calgary lost Johnny Gaudreau. Yep. And so then they wanted to remake their roster, and they felt they were probably going to lose Kachuk in another year. So that's kind of the motivation for Calgary to make that trade. They didn't want to you know, lose Gaudreau and then lose Kachuk a year later. Yeah. In Florida's case, not only did they make the trade and get rid of Hubador and Uyghur and bring in Kachuk, but they changed the coaching staff. Yep. And you look at Andrew Burnett, who's now an assistant on New Jersey, and how well they've done this year. It's the coaching. You know, now he wasn't the coach they picked last year <laughs> right. because it was Quenville who then, you know, was removed, what, 10 games in the season or whatever it was. Sure. But, you know, they changed a lot more than just, you know, Hubido and Uyghur in, in Florida. They really did. And, you know, maybe in, in some ways we don't get a chance, obviously, to see Calgary as much because they're out west. But they did make a couple of just huge, huge structural changes to their team. Now, maybe they thought, you know, Goudreau leaving and, and getting a guy like Huberto, that would offset in terms of production. Uh, it's a fair conversation to have. I think that when you get a personality back like Kachuk, and, and Mish is back with us, I, I think that that almost changes how your team is viewed in many ways because of the leadership, because of the way he plays. And I think it's a situation where I think that's what the Panthers wanted quite honestly. And like I said, I think they get in, but it's not a slam dunk. I acknowledge that. But I I think both teams wanted to make big moves, and uh, Mish is back with us. Sometimes it it may take a full year, partner, when you make moves like the ones they did that involved really huge players and personalities, in in Kachuk's case, with Florida. Mm -hmm. But as I was saying before you, we had some technical difficulties. I feel like Florida is just, they're feeling it right now. I don't know if that's a product of Kachuk or not, but maybe that's a team who's finally found the right rhythm for them to sneak into the playoffs here. Although we understand Calgary is is close to that last wild card as well. Yeah, it sounds like things just went off the rails quickly in Calgary, and there's been a lot of discord between some of the players and the coach frankly. Now, this is from the outside looking in, but that's what I'm hearing. That's that's the sense that I get. The Florida situation was different. I don't think there was discord between the players and the coach. It was a new coach. I just think they had a lot of of new pieces to kind of implement and, and figure out, and it does appear that they have done that. Is it going to be too little too late? Maybe not, because right now they're in wild card one, and if they win their last four games they will be in the playoffs i will say this though about matthew kachuk and you were on that kachuk bandwagon if that's the right way of putting it from the get-go you've talked about how much you you loved him as a player he has he has been able to drag the panthers into the fight he has willed that team back into the playoff race and i don't think he's going to be one of the finalists and I'm not trying to show Florida bias here based on the fact that this team is in, is in our state, but I think he should earn consideration for MVP. He has been wow. that good I like for it. Florida I like this year. It. I mean, not just his production, but his leadership. And how many big goals has he scored? He scored another one last night. It's a 1-1 game going into the third. He scores the game-winning goal. 
He has had plays like that throughout the year. And I don't think the same can be said about Huberto or Uyghur. I still think it's a little early to kind of assess the trade. I mean, they've locked up Uyghur and Huberto, the Flames have, for many, many years to come. And let's see kind of taking the long view, which we don't have yet. We don't yeah. have enough. We don't have enough of a sample size to take the long view. But maybe it'll work out for both teams. But there's no question the the Panthers are thrilled with Kachuk. I mean, they have gotten a primetime player. That's what they've got, a primetime yeah, player. And Basil partner also said, you know, why would the Panthers make a move like that? And one of the, the points maybe he, he had or one of the questions was, you know, Huberto's personality. I, I didn't. I don't know if there was any anything there. He got along great from all by all accounts with everybody in that locker room, and especially with Barkov. Mm-hmm. I I just think they maybe what you what you gained what Calgary gained in skill maybe from Huberto, the Panthers gained in grit a little bit more maybe with Kachuk, and I I do think that's kind of what they were looking for. I could be off. Yeah, that's kind of how I looked at it though. You know, with those. Well, teams. look, they've gotten they've gotten a couple of players from the Flames. The Flames knew Kachuk was good. That was more of a contract issue, and I think they felt that they couldn't keep him, so they wanted to get something for him, and they did get a lot for him. I mean, they got two really good players in that trade, but the Sam Bennett trade is the one that's just mystifying, probably to the Flames, which is like, where was this guy? How come we didn't see that guy in Calgary? He's been a terrific number two center for the Panthers since he arrived there. Yeah. And frankly, looks kind of like the guy the the Flames thought they were getting when they drafted him, what was it, third or fourth overall in his draft year. That is true. That is true. Tell you what, Carter Verhage's had a hell of a year, hasn't he? Yep. We kind of knew that, right? But I mean, he's. 40 goals? Yeah, he's. That's impressive. You get to 40. Point gets to 50, by the way, speaking of that stuff. What do you make of it? Well, look, he's taking on, in the next two games, two of the best defensive teams in the league. Now, that didn't stop him from scoring against the Islanders the other night. That is true. Rangers are up to fourth in team defense. Remember we had talked earlier this year that Chesterkin was having kind of a meza-meza year based on what he put together last year. His yeah. numbers are not where they were last year. But, look, at the end of the day, you know, the Rangers are going to finish the regular season as a top-five defensive team. About that, huh? And we've talked about how good the Islanders are defensively. Their problem yeah. has been more scoring, and that has been the right. issue in the last couple of games. Right. For sure. It's a good question, Basil. One we've all contemplated. You never know how big moves like that, and as Steve pointed out, too, you know, you have the coaching change and what happens there. And, you know, he brought up a good point, too, with, with the job that uh, New Jersey's done this year. And, you know, mm-hmm. part of that is, is the coaching. Maybe a big part of that. I don't know. But Yeah, I'm going to be getting my ballot, by the way, pretty soon here Ooh. for Coach of the Year, and I can only pick three. Now, can you share with us winner. what you will do? I, or I, do you like to, I think you did, after, too. After I made my vote, I shared it, I think. I know. I think you did. I the, like vote has to be, the vote has to be submitted before game one of the playoffs, okay. which you can argue the, the logic of that or not because a team that does well in the playoffs – like the coach should earn consideration in that regard. Yeah, for sure. For coach of the year, but it's not. Like you just base it on yeah. the regular season. Do you have an idea? So going into these, which which ones can you can you vote on? What uh what awards? 
Well, broadcasters get the coach of the year. The coach. Sorry, of the year. my my okay. laptop is going crazy because <laughs> Bing, Bing, Bing. Because Brian Barry Burns Trotz? got a. Well, you know what, Brian Burns. So this is. A, I'll get I to your it. question about. It's not Barry Trotz. He's down in Nashville. He's done I with know, New York. I know. I know. You never know. He so, might still. So Brian Burns got our game passes. Okay. He is the PR person on the trip. Bing! <laughs> so he let everybody know that he got the game passes, but I most people it. are no longer at the rink. So it's like, I want my game pass to the hotel room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why it's important is because if you don't have the game pass, then you're going through the regular media entrance here at MSG, which Brian Engblom, Dave or and I, yes, the, everyone is very excited about these passes because if you don't have the pass, you can have the league pass, which is supposed to get you into any building. We get it at the start of the year. Any building you can get into with mm -hmm. the league pass, which is on a lanyard. I'm wearing it right now. They sure. let us in the building. But let me tell you something. This was very much <laughs> not a smooth process to get into MSG. There were two people standing guard. One person had a list of like 50 pages of people coming yeah. in the building tonight. Could right. not find the three lightning broadcasters on there. Brian Engblom, Dave Mishkin, Dave Randorf. We were all together. One was right after the other. He found Brian first, and then he was like flipping pages to the to the to find the Daves, right? And Randorf was like, no, no, no. We were right with Brian Emblom on that list because our pass wasn't good enough. He had to find our name on the list, and then the passes weren't ready. So the the other person there had to give us a sticker to get in the building for the morning. And and Dave Randorf is rolling his eyes, of course, and is like, "How difficult is this going to be tonight?" So I want my pass ahead of time, and so all of that. That was that. Hullabaloo right there. And I can't shut off my computer because if I did, I would be off the air again, which is what happened 10 minutes ago. So anyway, for all those fans who are interested, Brian Burns has all of the media passes, and he is going to make sure everybody has them. So hopefully our entrance into MSG tonight is a lot smoother than it's it was smooth. this morning. Yes. Smooth and also, operator. like, that way we're a block and a half from, from the arena. Yes. And, like, Randorf isn't working the game tonight, so he wants to get here close to game time, which makes sense. So he's not going to ride the bus over. And and Brian, who's doing the game with me, we're going to walk over a little bit earlier, but not. we're not going to take the bus. So we need to get in basically on, on street level, which means we really need these passes. Sure. Anyway, coach of the year. I've been through this, I know, with the fans before. I think there are three categories that you have. You don't have to consider. You can make any kind of determination you want when you're placing your, your three names on your ballot. But I think that typically coaches who are nominated fall into one of three categories, and sometimes they overlap. One is exceed expectations. Your team exceeded expectations. Number two is overall excellence, one of the top teams in the league. And number three is your team overcame extreme adversity whether through injuries or usually it's injuries right like your your roster was decimated yet your team still did exceptionally well and sometimes a coach can have a team that falls into more than one of those categories so to me i don't see how anyone cannot put jim montgomery on their list i mean and again the bruins are at 60 wins right now they may get they may stay at 60 if they don't win another game. That seems unlikely. It seems likely 
that they are going to get to and pass 62. It'll be the first time in NHL history. I don't know how in, in good conscience you can't, even if you don't want to make him first, I don't know how in good conscience you can't make him one of your three votes. After that, I think that there is some room for debate. I mean, do you want to look at Lindy Ruff? What he that would be an exceed expectations situation. That's you want to look at Colorado. Yeah, Colorado had a lot of injuries this year. They haven't had Landeskog the whole year. Yeah. What about the job that Jared Bednar did? They're in first place now, and and had to do it with a lot of adversity. You know, maybe we know you, though, maybe Dave, you feel like Jared Bednar shouldn't get the the vote because their roster, even with Landeskog out, is good enough. And that's the problem. <laughs> that they should be where they are. Right. That's the problem, because typically yeah. we've had this conversation before with a lot of awards, but a lot of times it doesn't go to a team who's expected to win. You know, when it comes to coach of the year, it does. In certain you mean like the exceed expectations. It's component. always the excuse. You know, yeah, it's always a non-playoff team the previous year. And yeah. then it's a playoff team this year. Well, what about I mean, Dallas? I mean, Dallas John was Cooper? a playoff team. Well, about okay, John Cooper? I'm going to say this. You know, Pete DeBoer got to Dallas. They were a playoff team last year, but I think most people would agree they are they are better this year. Yeah. I mean, they could finish in first place in that division. Look, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that John Cooper has never won Coach of the Year, but again, it's based on the regular season. No, I agree. What you I do agree. in the playoffs does not factor in it's unless fair. it's like pedigree. You know, while well, this coach has taken his team to three straight Stanley Cup finals, he's never won the coach of the year, maybe he should get a vote. It's a fair But, point. I mean, the Lightning have not distinguished themselves necessarily as compared to some other teams in the regular season. They've had a good year, but, you know, they're not running away with, with, with the President's Trophy like the Bruins are. No. I mean, in many ways, how could you not give it to the Bruins head coach? Well, when you're all, having a year like that, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, it, and again, Dave, I, I want to keep in mind, you're playing in an era where there's parity, like the league prides itself on parity to have a team right. that's 10 shoulders above everybody else in the regular season. I think it's pretty impressive. That's why it was a joke that Cooper didn't win it in 29. Exactly. I know the that, team that, went out in a week in the playoffs, but the votes were right. tabulated before that. Right. That was the year he should have won it. Right. I think Doesn't our make any buddy sense. Barry Trotz won it that year with the Islanders because they had a huge turnaround. Probably did. <laughs> I love do? Barry Trotz. I mean, as as a coach. Well, I know you do. Yeah, I think he is exceptional, and I think he's won it twice, actually. Once in Washington. Dave, that well. was the he most obvious it. statement today that we're going to hear. You love Barry Trotz. I yeah. know you do. And I know yeah. you like the Islanders as a team, typically, especially under Trotz. Because yeah, the way and Lane played. Lambert is a disciple of Barry Trotz. Yes. So, I mean, what they're doing this year is kind of a carryover yeah. from what Trotz instituted. But I remember that year, they went from the worst defensive team in the league the year before to, if not the first, one of the top two defensive teams in the league. And that is why Barry Trotz won Coach of the Year. No doubt. And they and they made the playoffs in 2019. Makes sense. They ended up losing in the second round to Carolina. That was the year that the the first-place team in each division, it wasn't just the Lightning, all four first-place teams in the first round lost. Mm-hmm. So you had every wild-card team, all four wild-card teams advanced in 2019. One of those teams was Carolina. They ended up seeing the Islanders in round two. And and beat them, and then they lost to the Bruins in the conference final. 
So the Islanders had a good year that year, and, and Barry Trotz should have been a finalist, but John Cooper's Lightning won 62. Like, how did, did he not win the award that year? Because it's it's a little bit of a joke. Maybe we can get into this tomorrow. Did you see where Wayne Gretzky came out and said they should have a Bobby Orr Award, basically for the best Separate offensive the, defenseman? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean. But, you know, Bobby Orr was really good defensively, I know. too. I know. I mean, yes, he scored a lot of points. But if you look at the plus minus that Bobby Orr had, Mm -hmm. like he was in the plus 135 or something like that range. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Bobby Orr is considered the greatest offensive defenseman ever to play the game. So if you're going to have an offensive defenseman award, it should be named the Bobby Orr Award. They want they being Wayne Gretzky, wants an acknowledgement. It's not so much about giving giving acknowledgement to the best offensive defenseman. It's about giving acknowledgement to a really good defenseman that never is consideration in consideration for the Norris Trophy because they don't have the points. So really, the Bobby Orr Award would open the door for other worthy candidates to yeah. win the Norris Trophy. Who's going to win the Norris this year? Is it Eric Carlson? He could get to 100 points, yeah. but he's you know playing on a, a non-playoff team, and he's like minus 20. And Basil's... if not him, who gets it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like Josh question. Morrissey was, was gaining a lot of traction there. As, as a potential guy, but he's minus two now. Yeah. If you're not going to give it to Carlson because you're saying he's a minus player, how do you give it to Josh Morrissey, who right now is also a minus player? You give it to Jacob not, Trouba. Not a heavy minus, but. <laughs> right. Uh, Basil says, disagree with you on Kachuk trade. Contrast Lightning with Panthers after playoff sweep. Lightning kept their elite talent intact, but added grit with Goodrone Coleman. It was a vote of confidence in the process and their core players. Well, I didn't say that. It might have been. He's, this he's saying the trade me. didn't help the Panthers. What I'm saying is I'm not really commenting on the trade yet. I, yeah. I want to see how Huberto and yeah. we were doing Calgary. But right now as we are almost one year, one season into the trade. Kachuk has had a way more impactful season for Florida than either of the guys in Calgary have had for the Flames. And maybe Basel, too. Florida felt like grit wasn't an issue. They needed to shake it up at the top. And maybe that answers your question about Huberto. Maybe they felt like, you know, we need we need a star player in here who's mm-hmm. ready for playoff hockey a little bit more, whose game is suited for that. And maybe they were ad- identifying Kachuk. The fact that Calgary was willing to part ways probably speaks to where they were with him. And I, I think that's probably how it's how it came about. Lastly, uh, Nick Ita Kucherov says, <laughs> yes. what do you see as the biggest advantage going to the playoffs besides Vassy? And what areas of our game have still been huge question marks? Thank you, guys. I think depth still, although I think it's starting to be answered a bit more uh, now than it was before. But I also think... The advantages the Lightning do have are the elite players who have performed in the playoffs before. And I think that's something John Cooper, and throw him in there, the experience of getting through a playoff series and knowing how to win, Dave, mm-hmm. going against various styles and you know different teams. That's how I would. Yeah, look at we it. will get into we will get into the specific matchup. Lightning Leaf certainly is as we get ready for the start of the playoffs. I think that that's fair. You know, I think most people would feel the Lightning have a decided advantage in net for yeah. sure. 
there's not going to be one pundit who's going to say the Leafs have an advantage in net. They may say it's a push, maybe. We may get so far as to say, or the Leafs, if they're going to have success, need to make it a push, which is the way you make it a push is the opposite of what I've been saying the Lightning want, which is the Lightning want the chance number to be level or in their favor. The Leafs are going to go into that series saying, we need to outchance the Lightning to neutralize their advantage in net. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've seen enough examples of an experienced playoff team lose to a quote-unquote less experienced playoff team. I'm thinking back to 2015, Lightning and Rangers here in Game 7. Everybody was ready to crown the Rangers the winner of that series based on all the experience that they had. And the Lightning, by relative comparison, didn't have nearly as much. And who won Game 7? The Lightning. So past success does not serve as a predictor of you know future success or success in a specific series right but there is no question that i feel two things about the leafs taking the lightning out of the equation for a second number one the leafs have been waiting for this chance since they lost game seven last year yep so they are going to be as revved up and raring and ready to go as any team entering the playoffs and number two they are going to have so much pressure on them. Now, maybe they handle the pressure just fine. Maybe they jump out to a quick start at the beginning of the series, and that pressure gets alleviated a little bit. But if they find themselves down in the series, that pressure is going to intensify. That's And they know it. Like, that's where they're yeah, in. That's where the they situation are. that they are in. Yeah, for Based sure. on what has happened the last six years with at least the core group. Talking about Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley. That's a good point. And then Tavares the last couple of years as well. Partner, I'm going to talk to you tonight. Our network pregame will be at 7. You'll have the game call a little after 7.30. Pregame skate show at 6.30. And then we're going to do it again tomorrow with a game, but our show as well. Yes. From Long Island. From Long Island. Be a lot of fun. Yes. You have a good day. Uh, Brian, Brian with me on the call tonight as ooh, well. TNT good. broadcast. Glad you mentioned that. I love that. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. Appreciate you. Thank you. All we'll right. talk to you tonight. Talk to you tonight. Thanks, Steve Ersnick. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. Get those questions coming in. Apple, it's radio. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.